Welcome to another Björkness podcast. Algae plays a vital role in the marine ecosystem, but when it blooms, it can be a major concern for coastal communities. I'm Stephen Alton, here with my colleague Ingil Pilskog. Good day. Harmful algae blooms are rapid increases in the population of algae, which harm marine life by reducing oxygen and by the toxins they produce. These can lead to health risks and economic losses for fisheries. Recent work by Björkner scientist has developed new and improved methods for predicting these harmful blooms. We're joined today by Edson Silva, a PhD student at the Nansen Centre studying harmful algae blooms around Norway. Edson, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, to begin with, what is algae? It's a commonly used term, but what does it actually refer to? Well, um, if you can compare with the, let's say, organisms in land, uh, its function in the ocean works more or less like plants. So, they use the light from the sun, they use some nutrients and make photosynthesis. So, they're just microorganisms that we have floating on the water, and then when they make the photosynthesis, they can increase in abundance, and then we have the falling organisms grazing there, and then we can have all the uh, trophic web in the ocean, going from the plankton to the algae to, like, for example, whales. Okay. But um, algae is not just microorganisms. It also goes up to things like seaweeds and such like, also are classified as algae. Yeah, um, the problem with the algae is a very um, wide definition. So, yeah, you can consider, like, seaweeds as an algae, but... Uh, there is not a taxonomic group for the algae. So, for example, um, there is uh, different groups, but uh, what shouldn't be mistaken, it's like they are considered plant, some are considered plant-like organisms, but they are not exact plants. Most of them are like just microorganisms, some eukaryotic cells, so just proteins in the ocean that can make photosynthesis. So you're focused really on these sort of microscopic, single yes. multi-cell type organisms? Yes, only on the microscope part. So, what is an algae bloom? Okay, so um, in the ocean we have, let's say, the similar concent- just one continuous concentration of the algae. So let's say we have 100 cells of one specific species, but then if you have some subtle change um, in the environment conditions, for example, in the spring here in, in the Norwegian coast when there is the increase of light, uh, these algae start to use this light that increases it, and the, with the nutrients on the water, they start to grow. So for 100 cells, it can be 1,000, 100,000, continuous growing. So this hub uh, growing of algae cells is what we call blooms. Now, when you talk about this, it makes it sound like uh, almost sort of a petri dish, a small collection of microorganisms growing. But these actually can grow to be huge structures that are visible from space with sort of bright colors in the sea. Uh, yes, that, that's because they have one, the pigment that they use for making photosynthesis that um, we can call as chlorophyll. They make this green color in the algae. So when we have concent- higher concentration enough, we can see that, from, for example, from satellite images. So they're actually that large. There's that many of these small microscopic uh, yeah. cover this large an area. Yes. Yeah. Um, so why does this happen? What's sort of the triggering mechanism why do the algae suddenly just start growing you mentioned light is that 
that the main or is that the only reason? Well, it can be a lot of reasons. It can be specific for each species. But in general, for Norway, we have like two uh, seasonal blooms, the spring and the autumn blooms on the spring. Uh, we don't have, uh, before the spring, we don't have light, but we have nutrients. But uh, the algae can't grow because of the lack of light. But then when light increases, we have this bloom. In the autumn, we have light enough, but the nutrients are depleted. So when the nutrients start to increase in the water column because of the in increase of the mixed layer depth, for example, so we have more nutrients coming from the deep waters, then we can have this secondary bloom. But uh, those blooms are, let's say, um, well, we can call generic blooms. They are they consider the whole algae community. But we can have some specific blooms from for different species with different triggering mechanisms. So whether you've got we say algae bloom, but what we're really talking about is loads of different micro microscopic species, and different species will be triggered in different ways and suddenly start growing. Yes. Cool. And obviously, the next question is, what is a harmful algae bloom? Okay, so uh, in general, those blooms, they happen every time. Like I said, every spring, every, every summer or autumn, we have blooms. They are not necessarily harmful, but a few, a few of them can be harmful, for example, depending on the species. Uh, the problem of the harmful definition is that there are many ways that one algae can be harmful. But one example that I can give here for in Norway is that we have a few species that can produce toxins. And they are considered harmful because they can poison some uh, marine animals. And if people uh, eat, for example, contaminate shellfish with those toxins, they can get sick. So that is why we call them harmful. But there are many other different harmful algae blooms. Other types would include things like because there's so many microorganisms, you actually just cut down the oxygen that's available. Yes, um, one one algae species, species uh, it doesn't it doesn't need to produce toxins to be harmful. For example, if the concentrations are high enough, and for example in a closed area, uh, this algae as it grows very high biomass, it generates organic matter. The problem with high concentration of organic matter is that we have some bacteria that consumes this organic matter, and in the process they consume the and dissolved oxygen in the water. So, for example, fishes that uh, depends on the dissolved oxygen for breathing, they don't have oxygen and have, and it can, for example, get hypoxia and die. So, so we talk about a harmful algae bloom, but first we talk about like its large variety of microorganisms. They're triggered in different ways, and then it's not just the microorganisms themselves, the algae itself, but it's the bacteria that come around because of this and so on and so forth. This is a very complicated web of... Yes. Yes. Um, is the problem getting worse? We have harmful algae blooms. Are they increasing? Are they decreasing? Have uh, we just discovered this? How long have we known about it? Uh, well, that is a complicated question because, again, there are many different harmful algae blooms. Uh, recently, we have this increase on detection of harmful algae blooms. So we have, for example, monitoring systems, and every year we are detecting more. But uh, there is the question if we are detecting more because the harmful algae blooms are increasing the frequency or because we are monitoring more the oceans. So there's a, there's a few studies making reviews and saying that it's, it's our monitoring that is increased. Some say that it's the, uh, the harmful algae blooms itself that they are increasing. But it's still, it's an open question about if it's our monitoring of this harmful algae that are increasing. Still under debate. Yeah. 
So how does this affect Norway? You've mentioned it a couple of times that we have harmful algae blooms here. Obviously, harmful algae blooms do affect coastlines around the world, but we're affected here in Norway. What's the effect here? What sort of species do we have? What impact does it actually have on Norway, for example? Okay, um, I think the main problem is when um, those toxins produced by some by a few species, species of algae uh, poison on people and they get sick and even die. Uh, this was a problem in the past in Norway, and, but um, since uh, with monitoring system and the diagnosis that people were getting sick because of, for example, eating shellfish, uh, studies were uh, were conducted and the monitoring system of toxins in the Norwegian coast was was built. So contamination by toxins in the Norwegian coast, I would say that is very rare. For, for example, the last incident, registered incident that I found, it was in 2005, that it were people getting sick by eating contaminated crabs. So um, here in Norway, getting intoxicated by shellfish consumption, by toxins, is quite rare because we have monitoring those toxins and the dangerous species every week or every month. So it's quite rare. So nowadays, the main problem in Norway is its impact on the aquaculture industry. For example, when the toxins are detecting the shellfish, uh, the shellfish companies, they can't sell the shellfish, so they have to stay for long periods until the toxins is diluted in the water, so they can start selling. So uh, this is one of the main problems for the shellfish farms. But what is most common show, at least on the news, is when they impacted uh, the fish farms. For example, we have a huge problem in 2019, where uh, closer to the Lofoten region, we have this one specific species causing the mortality of uh, some, uh, the fish in the, uh, in the salmon farms. So nowadays, the main problem is more related to the industry than people getting sick. So mainly it's an economic problem at this point, but that, of course, affects a lot of people's livelihood, particularly in Norway. Yes. And from what you've described, um, Norway's response to this has been monitoring and then stopping the sale of shellfish and so on and so forth. But this is all sort of reactive in the way they operate. This is monitoring and then when something happens, when a bloom is occurring, they just react to it and put out advisories. Yes. But your work is different. Your work is not on monitoring, it's on predicting. So you're looking to try and get ahead of the curve, try to get ahead of the harmful algae blooms and effectively see them coming. Yes, that is the idea because um, we can avoid people get sick, but once the harmful algae blooms detected, what it's made is like trying to avoid the other farms getting uh, contaminated, but still it's a, like a reactive process uh, because you are not forecasting the problem, you are just detecting one place and trying to... Uh, avoid it spreading to the other regions. So how do you predict harmful algae blooms? I mean, what well, is your research? Yeah. Well, um, it can depend on the species, but let's say uh, we don't understand very well uh, what causes those blooms. We have a few hints about what can cause them. For example, temperature is often associated with harmful algae blooms because for a few species we can relate it uh, warmer waters make them grow faster. If they grow faster, so then uh, the likelihood of having one harmful algae bloom increases. So we have a few ideas that are, for example, temperature, salinity, the water stratification, and other parameters associated, for example, can be wind speed. They are somewhat related to them. 
uh, one good thing that what we have, we have for, uh, observations of those parameters. We have satellite observations of the temperature, we have uh, models estimating water stratification, salient, for uh, all the Norwegian coast. So the idea is choosing this information, combining with the monitoring that we have in the Norwegian coast, and calibrate some models for forecasting the harm foggy blooms. But um, the, when you actually put this into practice, um, you take in these variables, like temperature and salinity and such like, and then you put this into a model? I mean, what methods are you yeah. using? I mean, well, since uh, it's a problem that we don't understand quite well, but now we have a lot of data, we have 16 years of data, one good method for combining all this information retrieving some, let's say, detecting the patterns and comp and creating forecast models is by using machine learning and data mining. So we basically put all this data in one machine learning and the machine and the model learns what is useful for predicting, what is not useful, and then we have a model for predicting. Uh, this model that you've produced using machine learning techniques, um, is this specific to Norway? Is it uh, transferable? Because harmful algae blooms do occur elsewhere in the world. Well, the method itself, uh, it's calibrated only for Norway. For example, there's this first st study that we published. We, we used uh, one aquaculture farm in northern Norway. So in this region, what we found is like using the best cell concentration of the one algae species, and especially sea surface temperature make uh, a good model. So uh, sea surface temperature, um, it helps for forecasting because this algae only grows in temperatures higher than 80 degrees, so it's a good predictor for this species. And also the pest cell concentration, we can we can adjust the current states of the algae bloom and improve the forecast of the model. But uh, the model itself, it's calibrated to Northern Norway, but uh, the method that we use it, for example, we use it satellite observations that are available all around the world. We use it, uh, the harmful algae data we use for the coastal monitoring. We have here in the coastal monitoring in the Norway data since 2006, the one that we used, but uh, we have similar monitoring systems all around the world. So the method can be adapted to anywhere. You can just <laughs> change the database for training the model, put these, these new satellite observations in a different region with this algae observation for a different monitoring program, and then recalibrate it and see how it works. Would you need to change the variables you've chosen? You've mentioned like temperature and you've mentioned light, you've mentioned nutrients. Would you need to change these to a different area? If you had a different area with like around South Africa, they quite often get a regular algae bloom. Does the algae there, is it different species? Does it rely on different triggers and so on? Would you need to adapt your methodology? Yes, it can depend on the region and, and the species. As I said, for example, the uh, this species that I work, it's called uh, Dinophysis acuminata, and it grows only in temperatures higher than 80 degrees. So here in northern Norway, we have only around three, four months that it, uh, that is high. The temperature higher than 80 degrees. But if you go from an equatorial region, it's higher than 80 degrees all the, all of the time. So maybe temperature maybe not that relevant in the equatorial area, and then other factors should be considered based on what people know about this region. Uh, but uh, for example, if you change the species here in Norway, for example, some uh, height biomass blooms related to the salmon farms, the nutrient concentration would be relevant. So we could be adapted. But uh, it depends on the region that the model would be calibrated 
in the end in the species. Yeah. So as well as just the the machine learning which could adapt to how relevant temperature is, if you give it temperature in two different locations, the machine learning could adapt to saying how relevant that variable is, you'd still want to actually rely on local information and local knowledge and experience about a specific region. Yes, you rely on the knowledge because, um, well, one method that you can do for calibrate this model is just throw out data that you have and see what can happen. But um, sometimes we have with some issues with this model, if you throw out data you have, you can have some overfitting. Yeah. Overfitting is basically when you calibrate the model, the results um, show good accuracy, but when you go to real, real world applications, they don't work. Yeah. So you still need some local expertise. So there are some definite sort of challenges and limitations with this model approach. Yes. Um, we've mentioned a couple of times sort of causes of harmful algae blooms. Uh, would your model actually help to identify? which variables or which factors are important and would it help identify for specific species? Um, okay, so uh, this publication that I mentioned, we will only work with fungal species and we found out that a temperature in northern Norway, it's quite important. But uh, there is a second work in that uh, we are working on, the announcing that we are working with eight different species. So basically they are all the species that are monitoring along the coast in the shellfish farms. Uh, and the interest part that uh, we use a probabilistic approach. So we're basically modeling the probability of detecting more harmful species based on the temperature, salinity, water stratification, and the light. And what was interesting is that uh, all the species are more or less related to higher light, to higher water stratification, and to higher salinity. That is what we were expecting. But when we simulate through the temperatures, what we could see that we have different responses for the temperatures for each different species. So the response from temperatures is not the same. It's not always increasing as warm it gets. We have some species that like more colder waters, some species that like warmer water, some species that don't like neither colder nor warmer, and they like some, somewhere between. So. so you can actually turn around to sort of fish farms and say, given the prediction of what the temperatures are going to be and what the salinity is going to be in the coming months, this is what we'd expect. We'd expect a probability of this much of this species and a probability of this versus another species and so on. Yes, the idea that this approach is feeding uh, the probabilistic model with, uh, let's say, uh, some uh, forecast models of temperature, water stratification, salinity, light. And for example, in the next month or in the next weeks, you can see, for example, if, if today the probability is 0%, chance of detecting one species in the next month could be 20% or maybe 50%. And with this information, you could maybe start to do something about it and try to avoid this harmful game. And of course, you'd supply this to fisheries around the coast and then they can make decisions as to how to act upon it. Yes. That's cool. um, obviously, there's been a lot of uh, attention recently about sort of Atlantic warming, which is ongoing at the moment. People have noticed that there's a lot of warming in the Atlantic at present. Uh, how do you think this will impact algae bloom around the coast of Norway? Any thoughts? Um, one way that can impact in the Norwegian coast is increasing the seasonal window that we can have those blooms. For example, again, using the same example of the 8 degrees for the Dinophysa cuminata, in northern Norway, we only have around three months above um, with temperatures higher than 8 degrees. But with global warming, if you have like four months, that are higher than this temperature, we can increase this period where, when those blooms are, can occur. So that's one way that can impact.
the harm hogging blues in the Norwegian coast. So talking about your work, what sort of ideas you're actually coming towards the end of your PhD very soon? <laughs> um, well, uh, during the process of trying to find out what is, might be related to the harm foggy blooms, what we can use to calibrate and, um, the models. Uh, we found out that uh, there are some critical observations that we don't have in the Norwegian coast that could improve the prediction of the harm foggy blooms. For example, uh, we have chlorophyll concentration. Again, it's the pigment that uh, basically our algae has, so we use that for monitoring the algae abundance. We have chlorophyll concentration estimated by satellites, but uh, the estimation by satellites only works well. We have like accurate prediction in the open ocean, but the harmful algae blooms that are, let's say, more important to us are in the coastal areas, and in the coastal areas, the satellite product doesn't, the satellite products don't work very well. So the plan uh, in the future would be to improve the amount of variables that we can use for predicting. One would be. Um, maybe developing uh, accurate estimation of chlorophyll in the coastal area, so then we can use that, this information for uh, forecasting the harm foggy blooms. Uh, there's many other ways, there are different methods of machine learning that could be uh, improved, going to neural networks, convolutional neural networks, and, but uh, that, that would be the true ways of improving the model, improving the, uh, enhancing the data that we have for forecasting and improving the methods. So lots of good opportunities for future work then. Yeah. Excellent. And of course, this research is very important as it applies to two of the UN's strategic development goals, um, which is the zero hunger, because it relates specifically to the sustainability of food um, and to good health and well-being, uh, since it helps to avoid uh, poisoning, which is something that we may not be suffering from in Norway, but other places do actually have problems with this with harmful algae blooms. Yeah. We've been talking with Edson Silva about his research into predicting harmful algae blooms. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. From myself, Stephen Outen, and my colleague Ingil Pilskuk, we hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll tune in again for another Bjarkness podcast. Goodbye. Goodbye and thank you for listening. You have now been listening to a podcast from the Bjerknes Center. The podcast has been recorded at Media.